Hello, story lovers. I'm Laurel McCarg, and you're listening to Alligator Preserves. In today's episode, I'm going to tell you a story about a homeless woman who gave me an unforgettable gift. But before we get to that episode, let me remind you that the 2018 SEPA Evi Book Awards are open for your submissions. And if you get your submission in by March 16th, you'll get early bird savings. So go to sepabooks.com. That's C-I-P-A books.com for more information about the prestigious SEPA Evi Awards. Welcome to Alligator Preserves, a weekly podcast about revealing yourself through storytelling, story reading, and story writing, but probably not story arithmetic, because that's not a thing. You just might surprise yourself with the secrets you'll uncover. I wonder how many of you out there have had an experience like this. You're driving along wherever you may happen to be, and there's someone standing by the side of the road with a sign that says something about their disability or what they need or what they need money for, and sometimes they're heart-wrenching, and sometimes you just want to roll your eyes. And typically, you look away, you don't make eye contact. You might have a dollar, and if if the light is right, and if the timing's right, you might stick your hand out and give a dollar or five. Well... I've had these experiences before, and I'd like to share a story that was first published in Colorado Central Magazine back in December of 2015 from an incident that happened with me, and my story's titled, Need Food. Need Food, read the cardboard sign held by a woman who appeared to be in her 70s. It's hard to gauge the age of homeless people, as most do not age well. I was returning from a weekend conference in Denver and stopped by our local Safeway for a few things before going home. The petite woman was walking toward the store in the opposite direction of my travel, and I had already driven past her. Just go home, said the left hemisphere of my brain. It was Sunday afternoon. I was tired from the weekend festivities and anxious to reunite with my husband. I drove a little farther before the right hemisphere had its say. Go back, was the command. Risking a traffic violation, I pulled a U-turn. Something about the woman called me back to her. I drove up slowly with my passenger window down. Could I take you to Safeway, I asked. I'd considered simply handing her one of my bags of food, but thought it might be awkward. Again, not knowing what bag I might pick up, maybe I would have picked up the Kleenex or the head of cabbage, or who knows what I would have picked up. In any case, I figured I could spend a little more time taking her to Safeway. A literal bag lady, she approached the window with hands covered in blue rubber gloves and enclosed in plastic Safeway bags. She smiled 
a sparse-toothed smile, and her weather-creased face lit up. Well, I really don't need food, she started. It's a trap, I thought. Why didn't I just go home? And at that point, I'm thinking, oh boy, I wonder what she does need, and what have I gotten myself into? I'm allergic to almost everything. I can't eat any of their chicken. What I really need is shelter. I'm staying at the hostel, and it's $25 a night. Though I rarely carry cash, I had sold some books at the convention and knew I had at least that much in my wallet. It was certainly easier than taking her on a shopping spree. I brought $25 from my wallet, and she leaned into the window with another plastic bag, into which I deposited her fee for another night at my friend's place, the Leadville Hostel and Inn. Wild Bill and Kathy have operated the hostel for the past 15 years, and it quickly became our home away from home during the four years we lived in Colorado Springs before finally making the leap to Leadville. We visited far more often over those four years than we have in the eight years since we moved just a mile away from them, and whenever we accidentally bump into one another, usually at Safeway, we laugh about it. I'll call Wild Bill and let him know I saw you today, I told the woman. It came out sounding like I was keeping tabs on her, and I felt a need to explain. He's a friend. She smiled again and said, Did you know even mice are smart enough to have a god? Oh, I waited, and of course I'm waiting for a bad joke. (laughs) They call him Jesus. (laughs) She delivered her corny punchline with a truly sweet smile, her gift to me, and walked away. When I got home, I was eager to unpack, but my brain reminded me to call Wild Bill. We hadn't spoken in months, and I figured it was as good a time as any to reconnect. He answered in his Mississippi drawl, and we discussed the woman who was allergic to everything. He thanked me for helping out. And you know what time it is? He egged me on with characteristic mischief in his voice. Uh, what time? I asked, ready for another bad joke. It's time to get together for our annual we-never-see-each-other-anymore dinner. We both laughed at the recurrent theme and agreed to meet for dinner the following week. I'll call Kathy next week, I said, and it's our turn to cook. I could tell he was busy. The hostel is always in full bustle with new guests and regulars, and we hung up with a see you soon. Early Monday morning, Mike came into the room to wake me, something he rarely does. Uh, My husband, Mike, is an early bird, always rising with the sun or before the sun, and he's always been so considerate of my morning hibernation needs, so this was this was unusual. Kathy just called, he said too quietly, and although I was still in a waking stupor, I knew he was trying to convey serious news. 
Knowing many Cathys, I was confused. With difficulty, he uttered the words, Wild Bill's gone. What? What what do you mean? I asked, fully awake. He explained how our friend was on his way to Denver Sunday evening and didn't get far at all before his vehicle went off the road and hit a tree. Stroke, heart attack, whatever happened. He died on the operating table Monday morning. Sixty-four years young. That day I went up to the uh, hostel and Kathy asked me if I could help with the woman who was staying there. Could I take you back to Buena Vista? I asked the bag lady at the hostel, knowing she had recently been there. She needed to leave to make room for family coming from all over to grieve the shocking loss of a man everybody loved. No, it's too hot there now, she said. Although she'd been told the reason she needed to move on, I wasn't sure she grasped it fully. She was squatting on her heels in the living room, her hands bagged and prepped for a day of money gathering, and she looked adorable. I think I'd like to write something about you, I told her. What's your name? Where are you from? Barbara Marzik Rotunda, she said. I'm from Niagara Falls. Marzik's Polish, right? I asked. Would you mind if I took a photo of you? I wanted to capture her, just as she was. Yes, Polish, and I can make borscht, she declared, standing and pushing her bangs back into her hat. She suddenly became self-conscious. Oh, I look horrible, she said, but I used to be quite a cutie. You look adorable, I said, and I think she might have believed it for a moment. I learned about how she used to travel with rock stars, Stevie Nicks being one, and how the man she married was no good. Now, of course, at this point, I'm humoring her listening to these outrageous tales. She's throwing out names like Stevie Wonder and Steve Miller and Stevie Nicks. There's a pattern going on there. But I I was patient and listened to her stories. She unfolded a paper map onto which she sat next to me, allergic to the fabric on the couch, and allowed me to take her photo. Then I delivered her downtown, handed her $20, and showed her where the advocate's office was. That's what I need, she said. An advocate. She allowed me to hug her, though I could tell she was considering my potential allergy-inducing attributes. I end the piece by asking the question, how do we decide who will help? Leaving Safeway that evening to bring food to Kathy and gathering friends at the hostel, I walked past a young man sitting near the door playing a harmonica, not even a little well, with a dog by his side and a hat out for money. It made me angry. I wanted to yell at him, get off your ass and look for a job. He was far too young to be panhandling, 
But then I thought of Barbara and how she had gifted me with one last conversation with a friend I'll never forget. And although I didn't stop to ask his story or offer money, I didn't yell at him. I hope Barbara has found shelter for another night. I hope Wild Bill is resting peacefully, spinning his stories in a less judgmental world. To my listeners out there today, I do hope you're enjoying my episode about the homeless woman who gave me a gift, and I hope you might consider becoming a patron of the Alligator Preserves podcast for as little as $1 a month. Go to patreon.com forward slash alligator preserves for more information. And now stay tuned as I tell you about a surprise I got six months later and share more thoughts about this most unusual encounter. My story came out in Colorado Central Magazine in December of 2015. And in August of 2016, half a year later, I got an email. And I just, I have to share this with you because it was just so surprising. Laurel, I work for a large touring sound company in Pennsylvania. This year, we're celebrating our 50th year in the business, and I've been around for all but about seven of those years. Thus, I get to field my share of, do you remember, and whatever happened to, questions. The most recent one was, do you remember that woman engineer who famously said, I can mix it, but I can't fix it? I did. Her name was Barbara, Bobby, Marzuk, and she worked for us briefly in the summer of 1975. Pack rat that I am, I even had a photocopy of a resume she had given me. I hadn't thought about her in years. Curious, I plugged her name into Google. Imagine my surprise, and in parentheses he has shock, when your article in Colorado Central Magazine turned up, and he provides a link to my Need Food article. There is no mistaking, it's the same person, right down to the food allergies and chemical sensitivities. I wouldn't expect that you'd have any current knowledge of Bobby's whereabouts or status, but I thought you might be interested to know that her backstory was not an exaggeration. I've attached a scan of her February 1975 CV. Regards, Bob Ulrich, Special Projects of Claire Global. After I got over my surprise shock, feelings of guilt over having done some Liz Lemon-worthy eye rolls over the stories that this woman had told me, I pulled up her resume that he had attached, and let me share a few things with you. It's dated February 1975, and under personal, she has single, 5 foot 3 inches, 112 pounds, 28 years old. She was applying for the position of sound mixer and road manager. In November 1974, she was, she talked about um, assisting Steve Brandon on the war tour. And she said, praised by Brandon for changes I made on vocals and harmonica. And she has his contact information for reference. In October 1974, 
She has Stevie Wonder and Rufus. Was longest lasting mixer on fall tour, five shows. All other mixers lasted one or two shows and were fired for incompetence. Stevie liked my work, but said I asked for too much money. The real reason was a male chauvinist stage manager who kept interfering with my gig. Stevie was tired of listening to all the complaints. In June 1974, one rehearsal and one show in Bristol, England with Chris Jagger. September 1972 to January 1974, three tours, approximately 250 shows, with the Steve Miller Band, not to be confused with Glenn Miller. You'll know the Steve Miller Band for their hits like Fly Like an Eagle, Jet Airliner, and The Joker. And one remarks paragraph, she talks about looking for a gig, and she decides that it's not what you know, it's who you know. I've considered changing occupations, but concluded that it would be a great waste of talent, since I have proven to be such a good mixer. I would be willing to challenge the best if there were such a thing as a trial for sound mixers. Hearing is believing, so why not allow me to mix a show or two before you make any final decision? I have yet to hear a negative comment regarding my mixing, except that not loud enough, if you could consider that negative. (laughs) And then in the next paragraph she says, Being a health nut... I would see to it that there would be fruits and vegetables available at all times. And then talks about the fact that she could cook steaks too, although rain is the only threat to a daily menu of charcoal steaks. She has other abilities, including hairstyling, safe driving. She's driven bobtail trucks, and it it goes on. It's It's really quite a remarkable resume. And... Then to read the letter from Steve Miller, signed Steve Miller from the Steve Miller Band, dated April 6, 1974, to whom it may concern. In June of 1972, Bobby Marzik approached me for a chance to make sound for my band, the Steve Miller Band. At first, I didn't think I would be able to use her simply because she is a woman. With the traveling and the hard schedules, I figured it would be too hard for her not to mention the fact that she would be traveling with seven men, etc. He goes on and he says uh, down near the end of the letter, he said she's never been late for a show, never missed an airplane, has never shown any bad habits such as drug problems or alcohol, and she has always conducted herself with integrity and professionalism. As an employer, I have found her completely honest and trustworthy, and I can only give one recommendation. The highest. So what do I do with this information when I hear that everything I had internally rolled my eyes at turned out to be, in fact, truthful? I wonder, I often wonder why I turned around on that day and I talked to my sisters about it. One of my sisters said, when she saw the picture of her that I had taken, she looks like mom. And so, of course, by association, she looks like me because in another couple of decades, I'll probably look like that too. And and when I looked at the photo, I thought, oh my goodness, there were definitely striking similarities to this bag lady, this woman who got the highest praise from Steve Miller, who was actually telling me the truth 
I had a hard time getting over my, my feelings of guilt. And I, I know we see people with their signs and there, we know that there are people taking advantage of good-hearted people who feel guilty and who go back to their nice warm homes and their stocked refrigerators when we see people standing on a corner with their with their dogs and their bags. We know some are posers, but some aren't. And I, I wish I had spent longer with this woman. I wonder if I weren't living with anyone else and had kids and friends coming and going at all hours if I wouldn't have invited her back to my home. And I don't know where she is right now. She would be... I don't know, 71, 72 now, probably. I haven't seen her around. And I know we can't save everyone and we can't constantly give away our money to people we don't know. But I think about the gift that this woman gave to me beyond one last conversation I probably never would have had with Wild Bill Clower, who was a storyteller if I ever heard one. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and I, I remember he would tell many stories around their table up at the Leadville Hostel and Inn. And boy, he enjoyed life while he lived it. I'll always remember the way he would eat. He would take a bite, close his eyes, tip his head back, and you could just see the pure pleasure on his face as he savored the taste of whatever it is he was eating. He really, he really fully lived. So I guess my, the gift she gave me beyond that last conversation I had with Bill, which was a fun one, ending in laughter, was a gift of reminding me to take time to listen to others without my judgment glasses on. It's hard not to judge people. I know I'm guilty of it. But when I think back to this woman and recognize what a pioneer she was in her field, traveling as a woman with men, rough conditions, drinking drugs, she stayed clean. <laughs> Boy, I, I, I want to know more about her. So... If you're out there, Barbara, Bobby Marzek from Niagara Falls, I want to tell you I'm sorry for judging you, for not believing you, even though I don't think I let on while you were telling me your story. And I want to thank you for that gift that you gave me, the gifts you gave me. And I, I truly, truly hope that you found a home where you're safe and warm and have all the food you need. I'd like to thank my listeners today to this tale of an amazing event in my life. If you enjoyed this and other episodes, please subscribe to Alligator Preserves on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts, and please tell your friends about it. Perhaps you'll even help support Alligator Preserves on Patreon. Again, go to Patreon.
facebook.com forward slash alligator preserves and check out the rewards you'll receive. And join me next time when I'll share another letter from World War II from my dad before he was even my dad. Until then, watch what you spread on your toast in the morning. Alligator Preserves is hosted and produced by Laurel McCard with technical support provided by her husband, Mike McCard. Follow her on her website at leadvillelaurel.com where she writes about life, real, and imagined. If you enjoyed this podcast, you might enjoy her books. Find her work at amazon.com. Amazon.com.